0: And the rest of us, as they head on out, Father in heaven, I thank you so much that you have saved us and you have given us hope. And I thank you for being able to sing about that and to praise you for your grace because you have been oh so kind to us when we deserved nothing but your wrath. And, um, and yet all of that's been poured out on Jesus Christ and we worship you today because as people who know what the gospel is, and know what Jesus Christ has done for us, we can rejoice that you have made us part of your family. And we have an eternity in heaven with you, and we have life on earth with you. And I thank you, God, for being with us and strengthening us with the gospel. And I pray that you would transform our everyday lives to be pleasing and glorifying to you. And we thank you and praise you for what you've done in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's a joy to be able to preach, and I would love to be able to, uh, uh, to share with you uh, from God's Word. We're going to be in John chapter 15, and as we start off, I've got a question for you. How many of you like to be liked, all right? Maybe not by everybody, but raise your hand if you like to be liked. If you don't raise your hand, then you're probably not here, okay, because most people I uh, like to be liked at least by one person, and I would definitely put myself in that boat. I'm a fairly social person. How many of you have been disappointed when you wanted to be liked by somebody, but you weren't? Okay? Some guy, some girl, some people that you work with, and you just get the royal treatment. Okay? Um, the, the opposite of royal treatment. That was sarcasm, in case you weren't able to pick that up. I like to be accepted. For who I am, I like to be accepted, and be, I wanted my mom and dad to be proud of me, um, to be respected, not rejected, and, uh, and yet, uh, I've shared this experience before, but part of my maturing happened as I got out of college, I married Michelle, That was big maturing, um, <clears throat> but uh, one of the key things I had to do was to get a job, all right, you need to get a job, so I looked for a job that would work, and I found one at Sun Building Systems where I found out I was the only Christian in a plant of about 300 employees. I got to do the very fun job of hanging drywall for a living. And uh, it wasn't that glamorous. And I went into that job um, realizing that you know I could help out, uh, but not realizing what I was going into. Come to find out... Um, you evidently, it was in the unwritten qualifications, you needed to be arrested to be hired at that place. I went in and I visited somebody and they're like, so what's your name? I told them my name. How many times have you been arrested? That was his next question. Like, whoa, culture shock here. I didn't fit there, but I still wanted to be liked by them. I didn't, I didn't, um, I didn't do well there for a variety of reasons. I wasn't like them in several ways. I Uh, I didn't have a pornography problem, but I did once I got there, (laughs) Um, because it was everywhere. Um, And so it was a constant battle against that. Um, I didn't listen to classic rock growing up, but that was all they listened to. So I didn't enjoy their songs. I didn't talk like they did. Um, And uh, and I, I went to church. I believed in God. I believed in the Bible. And some were clearly educated out of that there. And, um, and then I had this one guy that I worked with, his name was Brian, and he would, he would constantly ask, hey, have you sent, do you remember seeing, and then I would give him that blank look, because my family didn't have a TV growing up, poor sheltered life that I lived, and, um, and, and he would get, he would see that blank look, and he would remember every time, oh yeah, that's right, you didn't have one growing up, well, you know, you're not missing anything anyway, he would say. And that was his cover line, so I had an out, and that was nice of him. In my heart, I knew he was right. I'm not missing out on anything. But I still couldn't participate in the conversation. I still couldn't connect. There was no bridge that I had to be accepted, and I couldn't enjoy their friendship. And if I was going to be honest with you, I'd say that I really wanted their friendship. And I think part of that was healthy. But while I would not have done anything for their friendship, There are certain things that are just lines where, as a Christian, you say, I'm living for Christ. And you don't cross those lines because you value the acceptance of Christ more than the acceptance of the world. But there's still that sometimes idolatrous desire in our hearts to be accepted. And sometimes we're willing to commit what we would call respectable sins in order to be accepted. That's an idolatrous desire. Can you guys relate to my struggle? Okay, it's it's a universal human struggle. If you're in John chapter 15, this is what Jesus is talking to his disciples about. He's trying to prepare them and equip them because he knows that in a few short hours he's going to be arrested, tried, crucified, and he's gone. Now there's a little bit more to the story. But they need to know some things that they have not yet grasped, and so he makes it his aim to teach them what they need to know so that they can be stable, not waver and waffle when the pressure is on from the world. Not want to be liked so much that they're willing to do anything to be liked by the world. That's what they need. Now, part of living a stable life for Christ and, and under his leadership means you learn to love one another in the church those who follow christ we lay our lives down for one another and he paints that wonderful picture of love 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 and then to contrast it he starts talking about hate hate you're to love one another but you're going to have to deal with hate as abraham lincoln once said and this is probably a paraphrase you can please some of the people all of the time, and you can please all of the people some of the time, but you can't please all of the people all of the time. This is what Jesus is trying to convey to his disciples. So would you join me in reading uh, John 15:18, 18, and uh, we'll go through chapter 16, verse 4. He says, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. And they'll do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember I told them to you. In these verses, Jesus is setting up a stark contrast. Disciples versus world. Okay, He's chosen disciples out of the world. Maybe he's chosen you. I don't know that for sure. I don't see your heart. But when he chooses those who will follow him, who will represent him, who will be in his family, he chooses you out of the world. And so we ought to live as he has lived, as one who is not a member of this world and comfortable not being liked by everyone all the time. I want to uh, make sure that we are on the same page when we talk about who the world is, okay? So, so let me just be clear. Jesus is contrasting the disciples with the world. Who's the world? Um, I think I have it here. The world is the system, and this is before your notes, so you can just write this above the blanks, okay? Um, the world is the system of organized society hostile to God, which is under Satan's power in john chapter 14 verse 30 he says the ruler of this world is coming he has no claim on me he's talking about satan and warren wearsby clarifies this in his commentary he says all the people plans organizations activities philosophies values etc that belong to a society here's the key without god some of these things may be very cultural others may be very corrupt but all of them have their origins in the heart and mind of sinful man and promote what sinful man wants to enjoy and accomplish. Would you flip in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2? This is the world that Jesus has called us out of, but he calls us out so that we will trade loyalties. When he calls us out, he gives us a new identity. He completely changes our loyalty. In 1 Peter Chapter two, verse nine. Here's what Peter. Uh, here's what Peter says about our new identity in Christ. It says we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people call a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness, the old kingdom, uh, into His marvelous light. The new us, if we are in Christ, is light. It's in the light who is Christ, but as Matthew 5 says, you are the light of the world. And so there's this new identity all about us. We used to be in darkness. Now he's called us out of darkness and he's put his light in us so that we might light the world. That's our new identity. He's completely changed who we are. We're no longer blind. We're no longer living for ourselves because that's the darkness. Okay, How could anyone in darkness know that they're in darkness? Okay, One of the challenges of being blind is you can't see. And so you do things when you're blind that you wouldn't do if you could see. In, um, in Titus 3.3, 3, he describes our life in the darkness we ourselves were once foolish disobedient led astray slaves to various passions and pleasures passing our days in malice and envy hated by others and hating one another that's what we were like but god shows mercy to call us out of that right In ignorance, we were there. We just didn't know that we were serving ourselves. And we had, as as Leah and Colin and and Jennifer all talked about, we had this crown. We wanted to be king. But when he calls us into the light, we take that crown and we throw that in the trash. Because he's the rightful king. And he's given us light and he's, he's helped us to be found. He's put his light in us. Praise God. But what I want us to think about very carefully is that, This is a radical change that ought to be happening in all of us who are now in the kingdom of light. The new us doesn't fear not being liked. He's called us to this new identity, and it's way better than anything that we had before. And he calls us to live wholeheartedly for him, to join, if you will, the Jesus revolution, and to do great work in us, and through us. I'm afraid that too many have embraced a, a me-centered gospel that hasn't really removed the crown. They've just invited, as Alistair Begg calls it, invited Jesus to come along for a ride and see what Jesus will do for me. That is not the gospel. The gospel dethrones me, and that's what... That's what in my, in my confession of sin and faith in Jesus Christ leads me out of darkness and into His marvelous light. Now I'm a follower of Jesus. That's the true gospel. We follow Him as Savior and as Lord. And His very presence with us then braces us to stand with Him even if we are disliked by the darkness. This is our pledge of allegiance to Him. That I will stand... I'm not just going to give in to comfort. And I'm not just going to go with the flow because any dead fish can float with the current. Swim upstream with the Savior. That's what Jesus is trying to prepare His disciples to do. So He has two major emphases, and the passage doesn't break down. You can flip back to John 15 if you haven't already. But the passage doesn't break down into really easily divided sections, but he has a couple main ideas he's trying to communicate to his disciples. First, here's what you need to brace yourself for. And second, here's how you need to brace yourself. What to brace yourself for. And second, here's how you brace yourself. Okay? First of all, what do you brace yourself for? Brace yourself for unreasonable reactions from the world. Unreasonable reactions. This is Christ's expectation for his disciples. He wants them to get their hearts and their minds prepared, to brace themselves for hate. See verse 18, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Uh, One thing we could say for sure, and, and part of why I put the title unreasonable reactions, is because... The world will continually respond hatefully towards believers. We can expect that. And it's not reasonable. It's not logical. It doesn't always make sense. Okay? The very definition of hate is an intense uh, or passionate dislike. It's a feeling of intense or passionate dislike. So if you are going to be in the light, be prepared for people who don't really understand you and what you stand for to just go off on you emotionally if you stand with Christ. Now, they could go off on you for justifiable reasons, but theologically, they'll go off on you in a variety of ways because you stand with Christ. Uh, I think that the world's logic... Uh, is very fragile. They do not have a solid foundation on which to stand. And so they feel very threatened by those who are not like them. And so when you go to a new job like I went to, or when you go to a, uh, a new school, you meet somebody new, All right, there's initially usually this open door of invitation to come into your life to participate in what you're participating in. But all it takes is saying, well, um, I'd, I'd rather not come. Because you stand with Christ when you're invited to do something that would be sinful and against what Jesus Christ stands for. And it doesn't take long before you don't get any more invitations. Because they don't know how to handle those who are not like them. Be prepared for hate when they can't get you to be like them, to think like them, to talk like them, to affirm you by imitating them. Or to affirm them by imitating them. Brace yourself for hate. You also need to brace yourself for being disowned. Jesus says in verse 19, if you were of the world, the world would love you. Here's the key phrase, as its own. But because you're not of the world, I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. To be disowned means people don't want anything to do with you. And this is becoming more and more of an issue in our world. Uh, In... Um, in politics in professional sports this is becoming more and more of an issue and uh, in their news recently uh, there's been a, uh, a, a Christian named Israel Folau he goes by Izzy um, and he is a rugby player he was one of the premier players on the Australian rugby team and so uh, getting saved in 2011 Um, he's made a stand with Christ, and I may not agree with all that he does, but he does seem to have a valid testimony of faith in Jesus Christ. And in 2017, 2018, he was asked the question, see if I can quote it correctly, what was God's plan for gay people? He replied, hell, unless they repent of their sins and turn to God. In a later tweet, he clarified, I love and respect all people for who they are and their opinions, but personally, I will not support gay marriage. Seems like a fairly reasonable response. For standing with Christ, he received these loving, accepting responses. He's opened his homophobic mouth again. Sad to hear you state that, mate. Can't even do an Australian accent. Human rights are not an opinion. I respect the belief But why would you feel the need to actively state it? Could you just keep it to yourself? He had several conversations with league leaders, coaches, uh, team owners, said, I'm willing to step out if that's what's best for Australian rugby. They rejected that offer because they wanted to virtue signal and uh, tell the world what they thought of his stance. And so... Izzy has now been disowned by being kicked out of all professional rugby in Australia. Not allowed to play. To his credit, he was braced. He was ready for being hated and for being disowned. But that's hard. Okay? It doesn't, doesn't end there. There's other forms of persecution. In fact, that's another word that Jesus uses. He says we need to brace ourselves for persecution. Persecution. There in verse 20, Jesus introduces a uh, a key idea. He says, Remember the word I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. I hope you caught what Jesus is saying about the servant-master relationship. There's a key word here that he uses. The word is servant, and when we hear the word servant, we typically think of, uh, a waiter, somebody who is taking care of my needs, they might get paid, um, but the, the bottom line is, um, they're helping other people out. When Jesus uses this word, servant, this is actually the Greek word, doulos, which is slave. So this, in that culture, was somebody who had no identity of their own, their identity is all wrapped up in who the master is, what the master does, and who he, how what they what he stands for. That's what the slave was. And so since our identity is all wrapped up in Jesus Christ, if we follow Jesus Christ, since he's been persecuted, we'll be persecuted. I mean, he was tried, Herod tried to kill him as a baby. Uh, he was speaking to his hometown of Nazareth that he grew up in. And literally, in one verse, they marvel and they wonder at the marvelous words coming out of his mouth. It's like five verses later, they are trying to push him off the edge of a cliff. Is he persecuted? Will we be persecuted? Expect it. Brace yourself for it. It's coming. And you're also going to be ignored. And that uh, is stated in in a way that didn't make sense to me at first, but right there at the end of verse 21, he says, If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. I think that's helpfully um, translated by the New Living Translation is, if they had listened to me, they would listen to you. A positive way of saying, they didn't, so they won't listen to you either. You'll be ignored. Sometimes when you stand with Christ, even though it's unjustified, you'll be ignored. And I think this might be especially true as you enter the academic world science uh, of archaeology medicine variety of different things if you don't fully buy into the evolutionary ideas and treat that almost as fact but definitely right even if you're not sure it's a a fact unless you buy into that you'll be rejected in those communities you'll have no ability to advance Maybe not even get tenure or whatever you may you may hope to do in those fields. Now we need Christians in those fields who will be good apologists for Christ and stand on the truth of the gospel and the word of God, the authority of the word of God. Because if Genesis falls and the whole account kind of creation, so does the gospel. So does the whole word of God. What's the point if it's not all true? It's going to create all kinds of doubt. It's all going to fall. But if you stand for god on the authority of the word of god which i think is very justifiable be prepared to be ignored and passed over for promotions and things of that sort that's what we need to brace ourselves for i think it's interesting how the uh, the religious leaders continued to um, reject jesus's word he came to them with authority i came straight from heaven I'm telling you what God the Father sent me to tell you. And you know what they did? They kept asking not is that message true, not is it verified by the miracles that he's done, but who taught this guy? I've never seen his diploma. What's his credentials? And they ignored him. Are you braced? for being ignored, for being persecuted, for being disowned? Are you, are you braced for hate? If I had to summarize everything that I was trying to say that God has said in this passage thus far, it's that we have to change our expectations from liking to be liked to being willing to be hated and rejected for the name of Jesus Christ because we are in a war. We are in a war with the devil and in opposition to everything about his world system. I think sometimes we get the expectation that we're in the Kroger parking lot. And I expect to be treated nicely in the Kroger parking lot, right? Because if I get a scratch in my car in the Kroger parking lot, somebody's going to pay. If I get bumped into by somebody else's car in the Kroger parking lot, that's bad news. I'm checking to make sure nothing's wrong there, right? If I get flipped off in the Kroger parking lot... That's bad news. I don't expect that there. But what if we change the analogy? Let's switch from the Kroger parking lot. Now let's go to dirt track racing. I got my car. And I get into that race so I can run, right? And what's my goal? Obviously. So what if somebody scratches the paint on my car? That's the expectation shift that we need to make. We're not in the Kroger parking lot spiritually. Following Christ, we are in a race. And much like dirt track racing, we need to be prepared for the worst. To be hated, to be persecuted, to be disowned, to be ignored. And I'm telling you guys, uh, on the authority of the Word of God, following Jesus Christ will cost you everything earthly. We give that up. But what do you lose in the scope of eternity? What of spiritual value have you really sacrificed? To give up a short time the things of this world so that I can accept for eternity the things of heaven and of God? I'll make that exchange. Will you? Jesus doesn't want his disciples to cave and to compromise. And I encourage you to brace yourself. So how do you do that? You brace yourself with the reasoning of Christ. You have to go back to what Jesus has taught His disciples here and let Him teach you. And I encourage you to read this as if it were directly to you as the authoritative living Word of God. With the reasoning of Christ reminds us that I am not the first one to go through this. I'm not the first In fact, if we look at verse 18, who's the first? You can say it out loud. Who's the first? Jesus was the first. Okay? Uh, He he was persecuted. Now, what was his heinous crime that he committed? Well, it's there in verse 22. He says, uh, If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. What did Jesus point out? to the world when He came. Their sin. And by kicking out the crutches, they collapsed. By Him revealing the sin that was in their heart and the problem that they needed to deal with, they hated Him. Now let's flip the scenario, okay? You're going to the dentist and he cleans your teeth. Well, somebody, hygienist cleans your teeth. But then the dentist does the inspection and goes, oh, bad news. you got a cavity. That tooth needs to come out. It's too big. We can't fix it. Should you hate the dentist? Stupid dentist, always telling me that I've got problems. Stupid dentist, stealing my money, taking my time, taking my teeth. Oh, man, dentist. That doesn't make any sense, right? Right, Dane? Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. (laughs) Glad you're in the front row. but because they didn't want to deal with their sin, and because many don't want to deal with their sin, they will attack the one who points out the problem instead of dealing with the problem. How ought we to respond? Well, remember Jesus' words. I'm not the first. Okay? We are not the first. Look at your neighbor and tell him, hey, we're not the first. That was pretty lame. All right, Tell your neighbor, we're not the first. Okay, we're not the first to go through this, but there's a better response, and it's actually in Acts chapter 5. We won't turn there for the sake of time, but the the apostles had just been put before the religious council, the rulers, the religious rulers, and uh, and it says they went out rejoicing that they were worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus Christ, suffered dishonor for the name. What a far better response, because we've been called out of that, and we don't... Capitulate just so that we can be liked by them. Now, technically speaking, Jesus wasn't the first either. Okay, uh, Jesus wasn't the first either. Who was the first? The first was God the Father. as the world has been constantly opposed to God the Father. It says there in uh, verse 21, 23, and 24, Whoever hates me hates the Father also. Um, uh, they have hated both me and my Father. They, They hate God the Father. Everything about God is what they're opposed to. They have a God of their own desires. And you might hear this when you stand for the truth of God and you stand on what God has clearly said in His Word and somebody says, no, no, you're all wrong. My God would never judge somebody like that. My God would never judge somebody for that. That sin, that you're calling sin, that's not a big deal. God's a God of love. And he says, well, they hated God. What, they have, what these people have done is they have created their own God. They've created an idol, a God of their own desires. And that's what makes them act unreasonably. The world's hatred is unreasonable. You see that in verse 25, where Jesus quotes the scripture, and I love how he says, in their law, like, they should know this. They claim the law as their law, but it prophesies, it says, they hated me without a cause. The world's hatred is unreasonable. And so when you're dealing with hatred, here's what I would encourage you not to do. Don't argue with them as if it were a reasonable argument. Okay, there's, there's things that can be said and ought to be said but a good argument will not change their heart. Only God can do that as you tell them the truth, as the Spirit of God comes in and uses the Word of God and your loving, consistent testimony with them to help them to see the truth that they might their eyes might be opened and that they, as Second Timothy 2 talks about, might escape the snare of the devil because they've been taken captive by him to do his will. So don't try to reason with unreasonable hate. Arm yourself with that. Brace yourself with that that truth. Fourthly, I want you to live boldly knowing that help has come. We are not alone. See that in verses 26 and 27. which says, When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you've been with me from the beginning. If you were a soldier and you were surrounded, one of the best pieces of news you could, you could hear would be, help is on the way. And that's what Jesus is telling these spiritual soldiers. Help's on the way. Who is he talking about as the helper? It's the Holy Spirit. That's what I preached about last time. Okay? Uh, but, but the Spirit of God means we aren't limited by our abilities and our knowledge. We have his help to live consistently for him. And also uh, to speak boldly for him, no matter what. Helps on the way. We are not alone. So live boldly. And finally, live boldly because our world is just sincerely confused and misguided. Now, I picked those words carefully. They are sincere in their beliefs. And they, are, they truly believe that they're doing the world a favor when they put these narrow-minded, bigoted, homophobic, or whatever kind of characterization or caricature they want to give believers, when they put us out or when we are killed. But as sincere as they are, the bottom line is that they are sincerely misguided and confused. So how do you respond to somebody who's doing what they do not because of ignorance? Like if you have a child who's sincere, they're just doing the wrong thing and it's going to mess up the whole works. They, they mean to help you in baking. And instead of adding three cups of flour, they want to add three cups of sugar. How do you help them? You stupid kid! Now you show them the mercy and the grace that they need so that they can learn. And what I want to encourage you from this point here is that because they are sincerely confused and misguided, because they're in the dark, treat them as one who's in the dark, and show them the same kind of mercy and grace that Jesus Christ has shown to you. Don't respond to hate with hate. As I wrap up, I want to. I want to. I love hymn stories. I love stories of of people who have lived for Christ, and uh, and they. Their their story in some ways gets wrapped into a tune. Uh, the there's a um, <clears throat> there's a hymn many of you have uh, been familiar with growing up. It's called I've Decided to Follow Jesus. Anybody ever sung that before? I've decided to follow Jesus. And the story actually comes from an event that occurred in the mid 1800s where a Welsh missionary was a missionary in India, and he shares the gospel in the state of Assam, and a man and his family come to christ they're converted but it doesn't take but a few uh, but a short amount of time and persecution ensues and the man standing uh, before the crowd is told to renounce his faith and he replies i've decided to follow jesus amid continuing threats he reasserts the claim saying though no one joins me still i will follow and the man and his wife were both executed. But their witness did not die when they died. And some years later, as their story was retold, an Indian evangelist put their story to a tune. And, uh, and now we sing the song. I've decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. I've been called out of darkness into his marvelous light, and I embraced for the opposition that I'm going to face. But as pressure mounts on you and as pressure mounts on us, I want to remind you of the truth of this simple song. There needs to be this conviction in our hearts. I will stay in the light. I will follow Christ because God is with me. I know what he's called me out of. And I know that I would never turn back. The world behind me, the cross before me, following Jesus, I'm sticking with him, I'm braced. Are you? Let's pray. Our men can come forward for the offering, but as they come, Lord, help us to live wholeheartedly for you, to not be so debilitated when we are not liked by everyone, but God, give us a, a strength and a conviction that will help us to stand with you and to know that we are not alone. We're not the first to go through all of this. But that you are with us and you will never leave us or forsake us and help us to rejoice at all times because of who you are and what you've done and we give you praise and glory in jesus name amen